Hello, this is the first episode of Unseeded, which should be a fairly regular tennis podcast where we will talk about tennis as we have done for the last few years since we've known each other. So I'm Rob, short for Robert, and this is Fur, short for Fernanda. <laughs> yeah. So as you can expect, this first episode, we're mostly talking about the Australian Open that's just finished, just finished yesterday, obviously with... Djokovic winning straight sets against Tsitsipas and the day before with Sabalonka coming from a set behind to beat Elena Rabakina. So first of all, I think it'd be quite funny to look at how our predictions did when we messed uh, each other at the start of the funny, tournament. Funny or do you want to show off? I do want to show off a little bit. Yeah, not lie. exactly. So I mess, I think we, we messed each other like a couple of days into the tournament. So fair enough. We'd seen yeah. a bit of tennis by that point. So Gosh. it's like, how how do we think we were doing with each of them? So obviously, I want to say I picked mine because at the time it looked like Djokovic was a bit unsure with his hamstring. Uh, I will say I knew Djokovic would at least reach the finals because mm. he has. I mean, let's be honest, he has no real competitors <laughs> right now. So, I mean, your your second pick was someone on Djokovic's side of the draw. I know, but that was. Wishful thinking, you know, I'm not going to bet on just, you know, who I know is probably going to win. I'm going to bet on someone who I want to win. <laughs> so, and also I, I mean, my, well, how do you say my bet? My, your prediction. Yeah. My prediction was Medvedev and who I think had like, you know, great chances. He's like, he's one of okay. the best right now. So, obviously. So, j- just to be clear, my predictions were Sitsipas for the men's side. And for the women's side, I initially went Jessica Pagula. But in the same message, so I didn't change this <laughs> after she went out. In the same uh... message, I said, if not Pagula, we'll be Sabalenka. What, wow. what did, what did Fer go to? <laughs> That was Daniel Medvedev for the men, Igor Sviontek for the women. I think that was solid, solid prediction. Solid predictions, yes. Uh, yeah, they failed Sviontek me. being knocked out by, fair enough, the eventual I finalist, Rabakina. And then Medvedev being knocked out by Seb Korda, who, oh, what, what a guy. Yeah, no, so <laughs> I think if, if we want a preview as to how this podcast might go, I hope this sets a precedent of where predictions at my end go a bit better. Well, yeah, but you know, it's not it's not that fair because you. I mean, is Tsitsipas your favourite now? You would say. Uh, I, I think say, he is. I like Tsitsipas. I'm not going to lie. I I I enjoy very much how 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 he backs himself. This, this man is is very confident in his ability. He, <laughs> He's confident through, in many things. Halfway <laughs> like, through, like his Twitter captions. <laughs> I mean, yeah, halfway through the tournament, he very much did pay tribute to his own tennis on yeah, his Twitter account. Impressive. <laughs> I I enjoy that. Cheeky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say he's my favourite because I can't, as we see, I can't, I mean, I'm just about to say I can't back him to win things. I just did. Um, but I did back him with the thought that, oh, maybe... Djokovic can't get through the tournament because uh, if he if, yeah, if he can yeah. get through the tournament, which he did, he will win the Australian yeah. Open. Novak Djokovic will win most tournaments if he doesn't beat himself. Yeah, which is, I mean, sounds cringe, but his only competition right now is truly himself. Or, <laughs> like or, no one or, can stand a chance. Or Nadal and Clay, but that's it. I mean, yeah, but. Nadal and Clay is very niche. <laughs> and Nadal right now, and I mean, for a while he's been struggling. He's not the Nadal he was, you know, so... And I think Djokovic still, from the big three or big four, he's still the the only one who actually has, like, most of his abilities. Not abilities, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I it's know. not like they're dying. No, you know, like he he's, the one he's playing closest, he's, closest he's, to a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think he still is pretty much at one hundred percent. 
Uh, I don't know, because like I feel like if Djokovic right now was playing with a hundred, like a uh, Roger in a hundred percent, or an Adal in a hundred percent, even a Murray in a hundred percent, he will have very different. Like it wouldn't be that easy. Definitely, he'd have a tough time. But I think I think Djokovic is just he's at a point where he just can glide through matches. I mean, he, he does have he does have lapses of constant anyway, anyway. But, you know, like the Wimbledon, the last Wimbledon where Roger was in the final, that was a massive match. And Roger wasn't 100% there. And, and Djokovic yeah. was. So, I mean, you, and Roger almost won. I, I know. Before you get lost talking about Roger Federer, because <laughs> I know you can, and before we carry on talking about Novak Djokovic, we will be returning to this later on in the, in the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, we, we're talking about Salenka. We we got to talk about we got to talk about the other things that have happened first. So I thought talk about some things that happened earlier on in the tournament. Yeah. One of the things I put on the episode notes that I really wanted to talk about was Sebastian Corder. I have nothing to say about him. I never saw him. You've never seen. Oh, you're missing out. Yeah. I mean, well, you can talk about him. You can mention I, him. I will gladly talk about him because, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I did see him live last year at the French Open at one of the night sessions on Chatria, hmm. um, playing against Carlos Alcaraz. And I've got to say, he didn't look close to Carlos Alcaraz I mean, in that is? tournament. <laughs> yeah, 6 4 Right four, now, six, four, who six, is two. close? Yeah, yeah. Besides Djokovic, <laughs> yeah. six four six four six two was the scoreline. Gosh. Yeah. So, but I mean, I was so impressed with him. Maybe at the he's Australian not Open. a clay person, though. Yeah. Alcaraz clearly is a clay person. Yeah. But I mean, at this tournament, because I think I he's looked good. He's looked good in the past. I remember watching him at Indian Wells last year. He's looked good, but I mean, Seb Corder, like, I just need to stop saying his name and explain why I like him. Um, I <laughs> yeah, mean, you're expecting his name to say it all. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, his dad's won it. Not yet. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. He's probably one of the least successful Corders there is. His dad's won the Australian Open, and both his sisters have got, like, multiple golf titles. Really? So, yeah, so... Golf? So, Golf, yeah. He got to the quarterfinals this year at the Australian Open, withdrew with a wrist injury, which apparently sort of started feeling it in Adelaide before mm. before the Open. But yeah, I think he's, I mean, it was a very, very good match he played against Daniel Medvedev, especially Daniel Medvedev had reached the last two finals of the I Australian mean, Open. Yeah, just winning against him right now, that's... that's yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I I didn't see any of Medvedev's press conference after, but I, I, there's there is something to be said about obviously the nature of the defeat on the Rod Laver Arena in last year's final. That's going to mm. leave some scar tissue. It's going to be a hard place to come out and play again when you lose lose in that manner, two sets up. But... Yeah, no, but I mean that's that's just tennis, though, isn't it? Like it can change so fast. And at mm. any moment, that that's I think that's a bit of the beauty of it. I mean, obviously not if you lose, but yeah. as a, as a spectator, it's just so nice not knowing what's going to happen next. I think for me, the, the the one thing stylistically that I just really enjoy about Sebastian Corder's play is of all the younger players, he is one of the few that I think is genuinely comfortable at the net. Mm. Yeah, you don't really see that with the guys. I think we've seen no, Carlos Alcaraz no have a good net game from time to time. Mm. It's just really nice to see a player that's really comfortable at the net. I mean... I mean, <laughs> again, I wouldn't as say a like player, a, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> as, a, as, a, as an out-and-out... Out, like, he's not an out-and-out out serving volleyer. He's not, he's not serving and rushing the net straight away. He's, he's, he's taking his time, building his way towards the net and then finishing off the point, which is not something you see. And it proved very effective against Medvedev. And I think Medvedev has struggled with that in the past, because I remember last year when he played Maxim Cressy, Cressy nearly broke Medvedev, because Cressy serves and volleys behind first and second serves. And he took a set off Medvedev. It's, it's, I think, it's, I think it's, it's clearly an effective strategy against him, and it's really enjoyable to watch. 
I love watching Sebastian Corbett. You, you asked him. it. You it's asked if Sitsipas was my new fa- if my new favorite was Sitsipas. It's Seb Corder all the way. I'm backing this guy Literally. every slam from now on. Hmm. Interesting. I need to future, find myself someone. Future Wimbledon <laughs> champion. Oh my gosh! You'd go that far. <laughs> you just want him to like overshadow his dad. <laughs> no, no. I've, I've, I've I'm, I'm sure his dad probably wants that. <laughs> I've never watched Peter Corder play tennis. I was not around in 1998 to watch him play the Australian mm. Open final. I can't it say was a good I was. Time. I was. I was not alive. Yeah, well, um, you missed out. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, no. I think. But then, interestingly, as well, American player, the American players in general had a, American men had very good Australian Open. As well, of today, not the ones you would expect, though. <laughs> like, yeah, Fritz. Yeah, I mean, so as of today, there's now ten Americans in the top fifty. Men. Me- American men, yeah. Oh. So obviously, you've got the like. So you had Tommy Paul reaching the semi-final. Mm-hmm. Seb Corder playing some dreamy tennis. <laughs> Gosh. Um, and then, and then, obviously, you had the emergence of. People like Ben Shelton, who mm-hmm. I believe has the most serves on the men's side of this tournament. Uh, the most aces. Most aces. Oh. Most serves. <laughs> I was like, that's a bit a disadvantage to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, most aces. And then, but yeah, I think maybe we should make a note of Taylor Fritz. Is that is that anything to note? I love Taylor it- Fritz. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't know if there's anything to know. I just love it. I mean took two slams in a row with an early exit. But was this one more about the Netflix curse yeah. or was it <laughs> That's so funny how people kept mentioning the Netflix curse. Like like it's not gonna be you know, there's only two players who are, who are gonna win the tournament. I mean I <laughs> Netflix curse or not, it's very improbable that the two winners are gonna like be in the in the T V show, but I mean, who was who? Who was the last standing? It was it was it was Felix Ojeda Aliassime, wasn't it, of of the Netflix lot? And then he gets knocked out by Yuri Lehechka. Who saw that one coming? Yeah, but to be fair, um, and I do think this is a I don't want to say generational problem, but like something that's affecting the younger players. They just like they cannot stand the pressure. And it's like, they, I mean, they're not even living with the expectations that players like Roger, Nadal and Djokovic had at their time. And let alone now that, I mean, do you know how much pressure Djokovic must must be in? Like just breaking records and like, obviously he's mentally prepared because he does have that. Like he's so mentally strong. And he's had so many years to learn that. This is why Alcaraz is so is so efficient because he doesn't have that fear and if he does he's got an amazing way to control it because he goes out there and he plays anyone oh yeah no no in a fearless way Alcaraz is unbelievable on that front but I think that's that's that I'm one of my friends I also watch tennis with uh, I went to the French Open with last year but I I was having a conversation with him yesterday and I was I was just like the um, one thing that you don't, I th- I just don't think I I don't always quite remember. And then it's like, oh, actually, it's like I'm 24. A lot of these players are around this age anyway. And if I think back to when I started watching tennis, that was when Federer was at his best. You had Nadal, you had Djokovic coming through, you had you had Murray reaching finals. And it's like, so to come up against these guys. Like, but they're not against anymore. But they are. They. Well, I mean, you are up against. You. You're gonna come up against Novak if you want to win any Grand Slam at the moment. Yeah, but I. I get it. If the moment you come against, it him, seems like if you're you are petrified. I get it. I get Tsitsipas. You know, I get that playing a final against Djokovic is terrifying, and I. I understand the pressure. The pressure that Tsitsipas felt. What I don't understand is everyone else. If you're not playing against them, even if 
you think, oh, in five matches, I'm going to play against him. How are you, you know, how, how are you feeling that pressure beforehand? I think they're just feeling pressure all the time, which is... It's pretty normal. It's, it is pretty I, normal, but I it's, it's unheard pretty of. I'd, I'd be bricking it if I was stepping out onto a, a, a show court with, I don't know, thousands they, of people. They need to control it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying, but yeah, no. I mean, you look at uh, Stefan Ossitsipas, what he was saying in his press Ugh. conference after the final. He's got a champion's mentality. And anyway, maybe, maybe, anyway, as I was oh, saying, at least he has a mentality. <laughs> anyway, as, a, as, a, as, a, as we, we've moved on quite a bit from Seth Corder here, I think we could. Okay. Just... Is there anything more from Seth Corder you want to say besides his name? No, no, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe the Netflix curse will be less drastic if they follow him from now on. Um, oh gosh, I hope. But talking does. of someone else who would be probably quite interesting for the Netflix crew to follow, Emma Raducanu. She had, uh, well, she didn't have a deep run in the tournament, but <laughs> looked, I think, good. I, th- considering the injury concerns before the start of the tournament, I think it's not bad, and especially, con- I, I, I know I'm going to say it was a good, it was a good Australian Open for her, because what? I mean, yeah, second round you're coming up against Coco Goff. Coco Goff in that match was looking for her 100th WTA Tour win. There is a clear like. Coco Goff has won a lot more tennis matches than Emma Raducanu has. And speaking about pressure, I think that's Emma's issue right now. I mean, obviously it's dangerous, but I, I, I don't see how winning the US Open so early in her career has helped so far. I I would say that there is never a bad time to win a Grand Slam. I would... I, think, I would say there is if it keeps you from winning more than one. <laughs> no, but I I think what happened was just kind of inevitable because I imagine most like most players when they do their first year on tour aren't top seeds in events and playing on show courts with all the cameras on them having to do all the press and having to do all the all the stuff that comes along with being one of the biggest names in tennis and i think in like inevitably that takes a toll on your physical capabilities i i think she i i think that i think i would much rather i i would be much readier to have this chat about whether that us open coming when it did was bad for her in a couple of years time when we see what she's like when she's been able to put the because bearing in mind she started last year's season without having an off season because she got covid oh yeah did she did she fire her coach after the us open well as far as i'm understand from what i read is the coach she had for the us open it was a mutual agreement to depart ways like they knew after the us open oh. whatever happened they weren't going to work together because I'm not sure the coach was ready to commit to traveling because he had a family. Um, because personally, I think an excellent coach for Emma Raducanu would be Tim Henman, but what? he's another one that would uh, has said that he wouldn't go into coaching. Did you see? Yeah, I was going to ask. Is he a coach? Did Did you see Tim Henman at the United Cup? Oh wow, he is. I would want that man in my Gosh. corner at every significant life event. He is <laughs> he is going to back you all the way. <laughs> You're fangirling about a every, lot of people. Every time, I ta- every time I play tennis with my friends, I want Tim Henman at the side of the court cheering me on. I, just, I, I clearly just have a profound love of tennis players that are love volleying at the net no you have a weird profound love of tim henman i mean who doesn't have a profound love of tim henman no yeah no that's that's my pet theory that tim henman in an ideal world would make an excellent coach for emma radicani but that's not going to happen unfortunately but she does have a new coach who was belinda benchich's coach i believe where oh yes yes belinda benchich didn't do so well in this australian open either no, no. Um, but Belinda Benjic has won an Olympic gold medal. Um, yeah. 
nothing since but we move on from that um yeah no i think as well it was quite a fun match between goth and radicani i mean they're both really good yeah i mean if that's the future if that's the future of tennis sign me up i'm gonna that's gonna be brilliant yeah to be fair i do feel right now i'm way more optimistic about the women's side of tennis than the men's <laughs> and it's not like i don't want to be rude i don't know i feel like i, I like them way better right now i think as every era comes to the end everyone always wonders whether this will be the end of tennis as we know it i mean and it never is i don't I mean, want to be over dramatic but i mean in the 90s you had you had agassi and you had sampras you had and I... then and then people were like, what, what's going to follow this? But and then you had, and then you had you must Federer and Nadal, Djokovic. It still hurts. You must admit, uh, before, there but... is a before and after in tennis. Who, who, who? With Roger Federer. After Roger Federer. It's like before and after Christ, you know? It's like, it's Roger Federer. There is, there, like, there has to be a before and after. What about Borg McEnroe? That was brilliant. They're great, but they're not Roger Federer. I'm very happy about the Radicanu Goff match. Hmm. I'm slightly less optimistic about Coco Goff at the moment. I think she has got a few issues with her forehand, and that was definitely exposed by Ostapenko when she went out in that I'm match. I'm very surprised about Ostapenko. Ostapenko, about her. Ostapenko can hit the ball. That is... I'm incredibly surprised. I mean, I, I love Ostapenko's energy on court as well. Every uh... time she loses a point, she <laughs> takes personal offence. She never lost that bratty attitude, did she? Did, did, did we see the moment with... Um, it was it was her on-court interview where she then... She said that the Hawkeye Live line judging system... Is probably wrong, <laughs> and and then that. it just cuts to James Kiyothavong, the umpire, just having a little giggle. It was it was a brilliant moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair. So, okay, I do I do have a problem with Ostapenko sometimes. I I I've sometimes seen doubles match performances from her, and I've been like, I don't know why you're signing up to be her doubles partner. You are. I think people just you, love playing doubles when they're young. <laughs> You're in for a rough time. Um, but yeah. She's 25. Yeah, no. I mean, this, she is a very good tennis She's player. She's playing her best tennis right now. Well, uh, arguably her best tennis is when she won the French Open, but... I mean, you know, her best tennis in a while. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I hadn't seen her do much the last few years. Yeah, Ostapenko is one of those players, though, where you like suddenly you're like, oh, is this happening again? Yeah, 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 exactly. I I was so surprised to see her, and I was like, "You go, girl." I mean, I like I, I mean, I don't support her attitude, but she's entertaining to watch. To be fair, sometimes tennis players are too polite, and you never uh, have that problem with Ostapenko. <laughs> True, that is one thing she will not be in court. <laughs> and and it it was entertaining. I yeah. love it. I am 100% here for it. I'm not sure she's going to win another Grand Slam, unfortunately. I think but... she can. <sighs> I, I if she gets her emotions in control, probably. Yeah. Which or, or, might not happen. Or if they get rid of Hawkeye Live, because that is clearly the problem for her. I mean, they did allow coaching, which benefited her. Yeah, I don't. I don't. We we need to have another discussion about this another time. I'm I'm not a fan of on court coaching or or I hate n- it. Not necessarily on court, off court coaching, whatever it is. The name for it. I not a fan. It's wrong. It's unfair. It's just silly. It's unfair, especially after the whole Serena Williams fiasco. We'll we'll have a conversation about coaching another day because <laughs> there is there is a lot to be had there. There's there's a discussion of I mean there was discussion around Rebecca's coaching situation towards the end of this tournament, which is interesting, especially what she posted recently. But yeah, coaching phenomenal conversation topic. Post. But an even more phenomenal conversation topic, Andy Murray. Or should yeah. I say, as everyone tweeted at the time, 
Andy fucking Murray. <laughs> what a guy. I mean, oh two is in a row. Definitely not good for his anything. <laughs> I mean, by the end of the Batista Aguma, I, I do not know how he was still standing, let alone making the match look somewhat competitive. Yeah, um, I do worry about him, though. <sighs> he said they told him he would never be able to play professional tennis again. And then he's obviously playing at a very high level. But what are the consequences of this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you watch Andy Murray play, he is very much a man that enjoys the suffering. Yeah. And I mean, I feel bad for enjoying it too, because obviously I love watching him and I've missed him so much. Oh, it's the best drama on television. Yeah, but uh, I do. I I want him to be well. You know, I want him to be healthy. We all want a healthy Andy Murray. I think that's the th that's the, that's the important thing. He keeps if he ever wants to have a deep run at a slam again, which is something he believes he can't do. Like you, you got a sense with his complaints about the late scheduling of his match against Kokonakis, that the problem there was that it was affecting his chances to win the Australian Open. Like, he still believes that he can win. It's just he needs he needs to somehow find a way to be seeded as he goes into future slams. Because How it, it is not sustainable to be facing... I mean, you do get some good matches... First round, Andy Murray. I remember 2021 US Open, he took Sitsipas to five sets. Obviously, never to be losing. Last year, he had the Australian Open. He had Basilashvili, that I believe was a five-set match. Gosh. Then this year, it was Berrettini. Playing against Andy Murray puts a little bit of, a little bit of pressure on you. Even Just Andy Murray right now. <laughs> it that... mentally destroys you, I think, yeah. playing Andy Murray. Because I wouldn't wish you, it on anyone. <laughs> you must just be thinking, how does this guy who is like not barely able to walk between points just keeps coming <laughs> back at me? <laughs> how is like basically a robot <laughs> kicking my ass? We'll never know. Yeah, no, the um I mean, yeah, I think obviously on that note we do have to talk about that point against Tanasi Kokinakis. Where, how many overheads did Kokonakis hit? Murray somehow returns it. The two reactions at each end of the court were phenomenal. Loved it. Ernie Murray shouting to the Australian crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the noise? <laughs> <laughs> Pointing to his ear with Kokonakis destroying a racket at the other end. It is everything you want. I love a bit of drama. But yeah, with that match, he set a, a record, which is the most Andy Murray record to have, which is the record for coming from two sets down. He's done that 11 times now. Gosh. He doesn't make it easy for himself. I wonder how many other, how many more, like, games he could have played. He hadn't done five sets in everything. Ah, oh, it's this... I don't, I don't know how many years I've lost off my life being an Andy Murray fan. Uh, the stress that he puts you through just watching his matches. But yeah, no, obviously, phenomenal from Andy Murray. Really enjoyable. Probably the highlight of the first week, those, those Andy Murray matches. But then it did obviously raise significant questions about scheduling. So... I think those questions are always there. <laughs> like, Quarter past four in the morning, decisions. it finished. Yeah. I mean, personally, I do not understand why night sessions are a thing. What do you mean? Well, people work, you know? I know, but Not everyone's just... like... <laughs> yeah, Not but everyone you're... can be in the court at 12 p.m. But you're just risking, like, matches starting. Like, because Wimbledon do it fine with no night sessions. They even have a curfew. Where matches have to end. Uh, I don't think Wimbledon is like the standard for Grand Slams. They do a lot of things their own way. Yeah, but it's like... And also, it gets... How is, how well, is it, I guess your how is it good? Is, but... How is it good for spectators to have to, if they want to watch a tennis match in full, be there until 
the early hours of the morning. It's good for nobody. Well, you were there for Roland Garros, weren't you, as well? I was there for the one of the... Because they obviously introduced the night sessions at Roland Garros last year. I went to one of them. Fortunately, it was Carlos Alcaraz just <laughs> wiping out Seb Corder. Not wiping out. That's that's harsh. They know they know yeah. who to put in the night sessions. Yeah, but so that finished about... Oh, what time did it finish? Just around midnight, really. Which I think is fine. That's absolutely fine. But... I mean, why why have they introduced a night session? Uh, I mean, I think that is the worst night session of the lot because it's one it's one match. Like, I you, mean, you also... you you're, I pay you pay about I paid ninety euros or something for for a ticket up up in the heavens of Chantrier. What happens if three games in one of the players retires? That's bad for spectators i think and also i i think that's that element of the way they've done it is bad for women's tennis as well because inevitably they're always going to schedule a five set match because people are going to want to go see that Hmm. but i find nice sessions make sense when you're playing somewhere where it's very hot and like australia is very hot right now so a lot of people would, I think a lot of players would prefer the night session just to but, avoid that. Because that, that affects your game. But the night sessions are only on the show courts. And in Australia, those are air conditioned. The night sessions? Yeah. They're air conditioned? Yeah, when the roof comes. Because when, when when there was delays because of the heat, so they can bring the, the roofs over and and... Air condition the stadiums. I'm pretty sure that's true. I might be talking really? out my ass. Um, well, that's even better, isn't it? Like, I would much rather play in an air conditioned room than like on the heat of like the Australian sun in January. Anyway, we're now 45 minutes into this recording, which I'm sure that's not going to be the case for the listeners <laughs> because there are probably significant chunks of this that have been removed Gosh. in the edit. That's if I can figure out how to edit this competently. So I think we need to move on to yeah. talking about the final. The women's singles final, Elena Rabakina versus Arena Sabalenka. Both very powerful flat hitters. Obviously, Rabakina won Wimbledon last year, beating Burr in the final. She went a set up in this final on Saturday, and I messaged you at the time. It's very risky serving from Sabalenka in that match. In that uh, throughout the whole match, actually, it paid off in the second and third set because she was going after every second serve that she hit. Obviously, worried about the the back in a return because that that was that was something that Sviontek wasn't quite able to deal with. Hmm. Because once once Rebekina gets hold of the ball, I mean, it is it is nice. It is. It's just nice, clean hitting. And with her, it's it just seems so effortless. It's just rolling over the ball and it's just like... <clears throat> oh, it's, it's you so... know, I do appreciate Rebecca's poise. I Very I, calm. I really like that about her. Like, that's my kind of player. She's yeah, so I mean, I mean, chill. I mean, it... It was almost like you did when she did win Wimbledon last year. It was almost like you did want to go onto court with her and just be like, "Elena, you, you you've won it. You can <laughs> be happy. It's, it's time you're to not, celebrate." You're not, you're not telling a woman to smile, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, in a way, I do love it as we we're talking about Ostapenko earlier. Like, yeah, it's, it's so much fun with Ostapenko's like just going over the top with everything. Whereas, yeah. and then it is fun in another way with with Rebecca, where it's like no, but I, I do love how you can see their personalities coming through in how you know how they handle. Oh yeah, I mean the contrast there between Rebecca and Sabalenka. Yeah, Sabalenka leaves everything on the course. It's like even like if you just look at the shot production of the two different players, you know when Sabalenka is hitting the ball. It is. She is putting every bit of energy she can into each of her shots. But yeah, no, 
I believe now that Sabalenka has not lost a tennis match this year, which oh. pretty good start to the year. She won in Adelaide, and now she's and then she went on to win in yeah. Australia with, I mean, an, inc- an incredible final performance. I mean, especially considering the scar tissue that she's developed in in from last year. Well, in, in yeah, I mean, but even in previous semi final appearances in the slams, like obviously the one that I remember most distinctly was was the one against Leila Fernandez mm. in that US Open. And, it, I mean, the match was on Sabalenka's racket, but then she just couldn't couldn't get over the line. And now to finally have got over the line and got into that final, to then carry on that performance in the final, and just, like, so she hit 51 winners in that match, mm. 17 aces... I think if we're talking, you can talk about both players that in that won. You got Djokovic winning on the Sunday in Sabalenka, and I think the interesting thing about both of them, if you look at the contrast of where they were the year before at the previous tournament, <laughs> I mean Djokovic that. wasn't even there, and you had Sabalenka, who, I mean, we all saw the problems that she was having with her serve when she was playing in Adelaide the year before, which she went on to win this year. She was putting in underarm serves. Not not in the Kyrgios style of underarm serves, but in the sad style. In the yeah, in the sort of like it is it is hard to watch when players are like that. They can't. They feel like they just can't get the ball in play, and so they resort to doing that. And yeah. but yeah, it's so obvious... sad when it's serve as well, because it's such a powerful tool to have. You know, some players like rely almost a hundred percent on their serve. Yeah, if you don't have a serve. It, You're, you can't win. Yeah. It's interesting as well because you, you the way her serve bro- broke down, you think it's a, a mental block that you have. But then this year she's been talking about she hired a biomechanics specialist. What? Yeah, a biomechanics specialist that looked at how she was producing the serve and then was like, working on how to improve the service motion essentially to make it more reliable which part of me thinks maybe that's that that is part of the mental thing of fixing the serve because it's like you feel like you're doing something yeah probably because that's the first thing it's first time i've heard anyone do that definitely the first i've heard maybe it's going to become all the rage yeah, I mean, if maybe, it's the maybe, result, then I'm sure it will become popular. Maybe every player needs a biomechanic specialist on their side. Yeah. That would be... The more you know. Be a bit weird. But the, um, yeah, no, I, th- I mean, very impressive final performance. Very good final to watch, actually. It, although they were similar players, hmm. different styles. Different styles of how they, how they go around on court. And, yeah, I mean... In a way, I was I was kind of rooting for Rebecca a little bit in that final. I know that Sabalenka was part of my predictions, but <laughs> Rebecca, it's just like I, I I feel like we need to to mention the court scheduling that Rebecca had. It's like what what does she need to do to to be scheduled on on the big courts? I mean, she won Wimbledon last year. I believe she started on court thirteen. Then it was the John Kane Arena, and then it was the Kia Arena. It it took a long time for her to be, be scheduled on the show courts, which she's a reigning Grand Slam champion. It's it's bizarre. It really is bizarre. To be like, fair, I, the those things are always weird. Like no yeah, understands why they and, do what they do. And you almost wonder whether the whole issues around Wimbledon last year and there not being any points because obviously. If if Rebecca had got the two thousand points for Wimbledon last year, that would have changed things because she would have been probably top ten. She probably would have made the the WTA finals, and then that changes things. Whereas she came into this tournament, I believe, twenty third seed, twenty second seed, and yeah, now now obviously is is the number ten in the world, which gonna, is going to improve. Hopefully, hopefully she'll get put on a proper court she deserves to be on a proper court she's I'm a very sure good tennis player yeah i'm, I'm fair, i was very happy with whoever won that final i'm not a fan I like them both yeah i mean they're both both very likable tennis players i enjoyed the um the 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 champions photo shoot of why why she was on a gondola i don't know <laughs> why why, she was, why? What? she was on a gondola 
Oh yeah, I really like that though. I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know if that's a thing, but that 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 was such a cute photo shoot. Brave, brave decision making as well, because beautiful what, what, dress. Yeah, but what 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 would happen if 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 the trophy got dropped into that pond or lake, whatever it was? Someone would go in and get it. Not her. I, no that amazing dress. Yeah, but I I. I I would be if I was if I was holding that trophy in that boat I would be a nervous wreck. Don't want. Oh, I'm sure they would give her another one. Yeah, that's the least. Is, of is, do you reckon that? Do you reckon that was the original? I know. I know. You never get to keep the original of these trophies, do you? Yeah. What happens with them? Just oh, basically, it? the the original trophy you you lift it on on court at the end. It's like the um the Wimbledon trophies. I don't think have actually ever left the clubhouse apart from like a few occasions mm. um so what do you get you get a two-third the replica. side replica yeah uh. which is makes me think like what do all these players that win all these trophies do with them where do you put them i mean i'm pretty sure when i watched the andy murray documentary on amazon prime he just sort of had his died around somewhere just lying on the floor I mean, if you're good enough, I would think you have a room for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but then that's a weird a room, room isn't them. it? You just you just got a room where you just walk in and you're just very proud. You have of yourself. your own Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's and if we're, nice. If we're talking about being very proud of yourself, I think you've got to be very proud of yourself to before the outcome of a match has been decided to have in your bag a jacket with the number of Grand Slams that you now have after winning that match emblazoned on the jacket. I mean, I think... There are only two players I know of that have done that, and that is Roger Federer <laughs> Roger. in 2009 and Novak Djokovic this year. It's it's a bold statement, but it was backed up. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's so far-fetched, to be fair. I mean... We no, saw I, I, Djokovic, I, who was playing very well the whole tournament. I he don't dropped, have... I think, one set in the whole tournament. So, and Tsitsipas was playing really well as well, but I would I would have been as confident as Djokovic, <laughs> and maybe even more. I'm an Arsenal fan. When we last won the FA Cup, we set the record <laughs> for the amount of FA Cups won with 14. Then all the players come out with special Arsenal shirts with 14 always forward written on it. And it's like, imagine, imagine if we lost that final and these shirts get leaked. It's like, <laughs> I, I would never agree to that because you know if you lose that final and you've just got uh... someone that sees it just like poking out your bag or whatever. Forever. You just, yeah. yeah. But yeah, is... he backed it up. He's now got twenty-two grand slams. Yeah, He's the thing tied. Is, he wouldn't if he had lost. He wouldn't have taken it out. Yeah, no. But it's, it's, the the thing is there. What do, what does he do? Yeah, but it nobody lo- knows. Yeah, but what they does can't it, what, make fun of him? What, what does he do if he loses? Does he just take it out of his bag as soon as he gets off court and just burn it? Well, I don't know. I don't know what he would have done. <laughs> I think that's that would have been the least of his problems. <laughs> so we've already had a little bit of discussion on the men's final, but we're sort of having to go again because we've. <laughs> this is the first time we've recorded the podcast, <laughs> as you've probably told by the first, however long this podcast has been so far. I've no idea because I'm probably going to delete I'm sure quite a bit. Not, of it. It's not that long, yeah. <laughs> At the moment, we're like hour and fifteen minutes, whatever in. Um, yeah, we're having to go again because few technical difficulties. We dropped out okay, of the session for context. We're not recording in the same room, as you can probably tell. We're completely different sides of the UK. So um, yeah, this is. We'll get back to talking about the tennis now. Apologies, apologies. We'll, we'll try better next time. Presentator boys. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, it's we move, so we move. So, Sitsa Pastrokovic feels like I'll deja vu. Yeah. I'll start by saying I had very high hopes for Tsitsipas on that second set. With that set point, 
I really thought he was going to do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Djokovic, 10 Australian Opens now. It's just inevitable, isn't it? I don't know. I thought Titi was playing good. Like, I, like at the beginning, I mean, two tie breaks, I thought he was he was picking up, you know? Like, he was actually, like, waking up and being like, I won a Grand Slam title. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. I just feel like Djokovic, he, he has these moments in matches where, I mean, wasn't he 5-1 up against Tommy Paul or something? And then it, it then gets to 5 all, And it's like, he, he has his lapses. Yeah. He finds a way through it. And I think he just found a way through that. I mean, he, he he got through that second set and then once, well, I think the third set he started looking like he was just blowing through everything. I mean, once you have two sets, though. Mm, yeah, he's only ever been beaten once, I think, from being two sets to love up. Yeah, uh, that Djokovic, is like... Um, about 13 years ago, yeah. I, uh, obviously, once you're there, you, it gets a lot easier. That's but, why I think the second set was so crucial for Tsitsipas. Because if he if he would have won that, I think he would have become so confident. Yeah, yeah, no, 100. Yeah, I mean, obviously. And like, Djokovic was... Like, he had his first serve was, I mean, abhorrent. I don't hardly say abhorrent. I mean, <laughs> interesting. If we're talking he had about... double faults in tie break as well. Yeah, but I mean, if we're talking about, I, I think interestingly, something that is 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 a strength, and I think I think serving has definitely become one of Djokovic's strengths so far. But a, a, a strength that fell apart is Sitsipas's forehand. I mean, obviously, Sitsipas has always been vulnerable on the backhand side. I, I, I don't know how many times I've seen Sitsipas go for a, a a backhand and it just be just shanked out the court completely. Um, yeah, that. I mean, I, I can. Back head. I, I mean, I can very much feel feel the pain with a one-handed backhand that can just fall apart at any moment. But his forehand. So I went back on the Australian Open website. They've got all the stats from all the matches. I mean, they've even got this lovely, lovely uh, graphic. I feel like you're controlling the Hawkeye yourself. Ooh. But the um, yeah, no, it's a pass. In my notes here, I've got written sits a passes dodgy forehand. <laughs> Twenty-seven unforced errors on the forehand. Hmm. Quite high considering well, yeah, his forehand high. is is so it's like I just don't feel like sits a pass was pa- playing his best tennis on the day. And if you're not playing your best tennis against Yeah. Not, yeah. A twenty one Grand Slam winner at the time. I mean, I think if you're not playing your best tennis at a Grand Slam final, then you're—I mean—you're in trouble. It doesn't yeah. matter who you're playing against. It's just not not a luxury anyone can afford. Djokovic just unsettles the opponents, doesn't he? And 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 then yeah. and, and then he just hits a stride, and that is just like once once he's there, once he's just like I'm going to win this thing. And to be fair, he does have like this presence. You know, mm. when he gets very hyped, he starts yelling and stuff. And I didn't see that much. Oh, it's his his it's his looks down the court where he's just like glaring. It's just yeah, like, that's I, really really intimidating. I think. I think if if I was at the other end of the court and he looks down my end with that look in his eye, I would want to die. Yeah, I, that's I, a I would psycho look. I would just be like, fine, you can have it. Um, <laughs> I think that's part of it. That's part of these tricks. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just. You can have it. I, I can't. I can't. I can't do this. I can't keep up. Um, but yeah, so few interesting, few in- interesting facts. Obviously, we mentioned Djokovic twenty two slams, which, which good for him because otherwise he would have um, looked a bit of a fool with that jacket. Um, <laughs> 10 Australian Opens, back to number one. He is now tied with Serena on the most Grand Slams won in his 30s. One in their oh, 30s. Yeah. Um, there is going to be a really awkward restart to this podcast now, and I do apologise because first had something 
really, really stupid. And I feel obliged <laughs> to edit this out. You're not saying that. We're just going to have to start again. You're not explaining this in the, in the podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, I'm 100% leaving that in, and then people can just guess what the stupid thing was. Um, and then maybe one day, maybe one day, I'll, I'll, we'll I'll, reveal I'll, it. We'll reveal it. But yeah, as we were saying, tied, in the 30, uh, tied on 10 grand slams, one in their 30s. Very impressive. That is very impressive. It's yeah. very impressive. And he's definitely going to win more. I mean, I can't see him not winning Wimbledon this year. Yeah. I don't think he's got competition. No, no. I mean... Not with Nadal as the way he is. Yeah. I mean, talking of winning slams, obviously, I think I don't... I think we see... I think we see Djokovic overtaking Margaret Court on 24 slams, having the all-time record, really. Um, but I think more interesting question is: Will Sitsipas win a slam? Because I, I that think with for thought, I, I think, I think, a few years back, he was, he was, the one of that generation in a way that was I, most likely. I always trusted Theme to do it, but yeah, it's not, but it's he's like, not looking great now. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just, I just feel like Sitsipas, he's, he's, he's like, I mean, he obviously believes he can. He's got the champion's mentality after all. Yeah. He's a born winner. Um, got the Instagram to prove it. He's, he's got a very beautiful, beautiful tennis game, according to himself. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just wondered if we, we needed to consider whether he was going to win a Grand Slam. I mean, I, th- I think he can. I think he will. I, I see him winning the French Open. Really, the French Open. He's a very good clay court player. I think. I think. I think the matchup between Djokovic and Sitsipas on a clay court is very different to that on a hard court. I think. I think clay benefits Sitsipas completely. He's a clay court. He's. He's. He's a clay court player. He he does he does well at the French Open. He obviously got to the final a couple of years back, and then you can tell the difference as soon as he gets to Wimbledon. He's he's never fully convinced there. I mean, obviously, he went out against Kyrgios, didn't he, last year? And that was was a fiery match. Kyrgios Um, reached a final, though. Yeah, I know. Will he win a slam? That is definitely a topic for another day. That is. Uh, I don't think. I don't maybe, think he. I think. I think we need to. Wants do it. to. <laughs> yeah, he does. He he wants to win Wimbledon. I don't think he wants it enough to work for it. Yeah, maybe maybe will Kyrgios win another slam. Will, will win a slam, not another slam. Get ahead. Another. <laughs> um, will well, technically another. He he won the the. Oh, he did win the doubles. He, yeah. he won the he won the men's doubles. Um, yeah. Well, that's probably an entire episode in and of itself. Um, I mean, curious is an episode of itself. Yeah, curious, yeah, that is that is whole career. That, that is a whole series. Choices. Yeah, no, I mean, but I think Tsitsipas will win a Grand Slam. To be fair, and I see him winning the US Open. Actually, I think I think that almost seems the least likely. He he always sort of drops off by the end of the season. Yeah, um, but I I think he can do it. Yeah, and so this is an interesting. Out of all of them. Yeah, I think Berrettini also Berrettini. has it in him. Yeah, has it in him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting stat, and I'm, I'm 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 just straight up honest here. I'm stealing this one from the tennis podcast, which is undoubtedly the best tennis podcast there is. But I had <laughs> not I had not realised this. What? Djokovic has never won a major without dropping a set. Really? Yeah. That is. And the man that stopped him this year from doing that, Enzo Coco. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Yeah. So that's just an that's just an interesting interesting <laughs> fact for me. Maybe maybe that will be the thing that settles the go debate. <laughs> um, well, can we talk about Djokovic's super long break after the second set? I don't care. I thought that was so. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I I I think ev- every tennis player has done that at some point. Well, the thing is, he always does it. That's that's the annoying bit. 
Yeah, but I think I think every player has done that. You 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 sort of you you want to get over that last hurdle for him the third set to win that match. It took and a long time. So you you go to the toilet and you have a pep talk in the mirror. Did you know? Because they the commentators were saying um, that he had taken like very long time. But the timing starts from the moment you reach the lockers, not from the moment you leave the court. Yeah, no, but that's only fair because, like, say if you're on the outside courts, then it's going to take you a long, longer time to get to the toilets. I don't think it's fair the for the player room. who stays in the court. Yeah, but I mean, if he wanted to and he felt like it was an issue, he could also just go off at the same time. They should just have a and... better system, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, but they tried to change it, didn't they? They tried to change it because originally it was like unlimited sort That's of bathroom breaks, and you could spend whatever time you wanted, and that was that was bad. But then, but then, yeah, I, I, I think tennis players taking breaks in big finals. When when have people that, not done that's that? That's a mental thing, though, and I I don't think that's fair. I think it's absolutely fair. I think everyone does it. It's done. That's playing mental games. I'm I'm not. I, I, I don't agree. Everyone does it. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I do think that was a bit of a mental part of the it the mental was. between Djokovic and Sitsipas. No, gut, do, you, do you remember yeah. in the the press conferences before the final, and Djokovic said something like, "Oh, he's not even reached like Sitsipas. This is his first um, Grand Slam final or something." Like, it's like he's not reached a Grand Slam final yet. Am he I right? How to mess up and it's, and it's like. But he has, and he played you. <laughs> you beat him after he was two sets up. It's like... <laughs> yeah, he doesn't that was care. The game. Yeah, no, but I think that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I think it's just classless. It's like it's like Carlos Alcaraz. He celebrates points by, like, doing his, like, fist clenching or whatever and just staring at the opponent at times. But that's different. That's, right. I, you know, I can excuse passion. I think that's a part of sports. I'm, pre- I'm, pretty, I think sure, that's I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure of Andy Murray in his 2012 US Open final that he won, he went and took a long bathroom break. I think it's just too conniving. And especially when you clearly don't need it. You know, like he was up two sets. He didn't need it. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I am not. I would quite like Nadal to win the Grand Slam race. It's like me too. I I I think I I because I mean personally for me maybe my tennis nostalgia is is the Roger Rafa rivalry. Yeah. So it's like be nice if one of those guys won it. Obviously Federer is not going to win it. Um. So, but yeah, no, I, but yeah, no, I'm absolutely fine. I think Djokovic is going to go on and win more times. I, I, I struggled to see anyone competing with him on grass, complete like at all. I think whoever gets it really deserves it. Yeah, like they, all of them. Well, I mean, the two, the two left, um, Rafa and Djokovic. It takes a lot to like still be competing now and still be like winning yeah i mean i saw a thing on twitter which was it was this um picture of just like this graphic of every grand slam that had been won since 2000 (laughs) and it's just it gets to a point where it's just ridiculous i love this it's it's just all the big three the odd andy murray stan (laughs) Stan oh, yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah, Stan Del as well. Del Potro, yeah. Um, it's just all the same names over and over again. It's like early on when when Federer in his prime, he's winning three slams a year. You then got the you then just got like the the column, the column of of French Open, and and then pretty similar with the Australian Open, and it's just like over and over again. It's just the same people winning slams. It's like. Exciting times. We lived in exciting times. I think I think we've covered most things now. Yeah? Yeah. Um I mean this is already quite a long first podcast. Oh. 
depending on your editing. Yeah. The only, maybe the question that we end on and the question that we can think on is how many jackets and special edition items of clothing have been made and never seen um, because the person hasn't won? Gosh, I'm pretty sure Roger probably had one. I reckon. On On that final against Djokovic and Wimbledon. I reckon Roger must have had one for the... Do you reckon 2008 when he was trying to go for six in a row? Yeah, definitely. I think Roger probably had one for every Wimbledon. <laughs> Must have had one then, yeah. What was was there was there a um a calendar slam one for Djokovic? Mm. I don't know. It's not, it's not Djokovic. I mean, I didn't expect Djokovic to do it. To be fair, yeah. it does seem like it. It, it often seems like quite a, a Federer thing. Off character, yeah. For yeah, but... I mean, I'm I'm still not a fan of of the two. Is it the 2008 cardigan? Oh, I love that cardigan. I really wanted one. That's horrible. Why are you wearing a cute. Why are you I wearing like, a cardigan? Everything looks good on him. And anyway, now it's time <laughs> to end because it's currently 11:30 at night, and and we have jobs. Yeah, I've got to edit this tomorrow, which is already going to be a disaster because of the nightmarish problems we had when we had to re-record the whole men's final stuff. And yeah, thank you, thank you for listening to the first episode of Unseeded. Um, we do, we do hope you will listen again. Um, we promise it will be better, <laughs> or not? Yeah, set your hopes too high. But but we'll we'll finish this podcast now before we end up with a podcast that is about as long as an Andy Murray match. So goodbye. Bye. See you next week.